0: Hey, I'm so sorry, Emily, I got stuck in traffic.
1: Laura, we do the show remotely.
0: I'm Laura Spitalniak.
1: And I'm Luke Garrett.
0: Drivers in the DC area enjoyed open roads and few traffic delays during the pandemic, as many worked from home and traveled less.
1: WTOP traffic reporter, Dave Dildine joins us this week to unpack how COVID-19 changed traffic patterns in our area and what this means for the future of commuting.
0: Dave, as traffic reporter extraordinaire, You have seen what happened when everyone immediately had to stay home, which is to say a whole lot of nothing with maybe a couple exceptions. Did rush hour exist during the pandemic? And if not, what sort of traffic patterns replaced
2: it? Rush hour is a very broad topic to cover, right? It's all relative. What we saw, though, from a statistical standpoint was highly anomalous. We had normal rush hours, so to speak, normal volumes on the Beltway, the normal terrible volumes that led to congestion, up through about mid-March. And then all of a sudden, when agencies started going pure telework and more people started staying at home, you look at the chart and you saw this precipitous decline. And highway volumes went to near or under 50% of pre-pandemic levels. And they bottomed out there for about a month. Mm that had a significant impact on the capacities of the area roadways. And essentially, we went from recurring congestion on almost all area highways to no congestion whatsoever. So highly anomalous. And the case studies, I'm sure, are going to be going on for years and years to come. Mm.
1: And so with these new traffic patterns, how did this affect people's driving? You know, Did the open roads just kind of lead to high speeds?
2: Yeah, there was obviously a lot more room for speed. And we started talking about more and violent crashes and a lot of them involve single vehicles because obviously with open highways there was a propensity for those with uh, lead feet to really go for it. So there were uh, some unfortunate consequences of the uh, lower volumes. The roads were more efficient obviously Um, and as I said for a good month there was virtually no congestion which is extremely unusual for a metro area. I should also say, though, that the roads weren't empty by any means. So there's this misconception that it was a ghost town and there were tumbleweeds blowing across the beltway. That's not true at all. It's just that when you siphon off that much volume off any one roadway or road network, it is very hard to generate a backup. So even the big crashes, even the horrible, serious crashes that we talked about, caused minimal delays, at least during that first month, month and a half. So that was also interesting from an analysis standpoint.
0: Yeah. I mean, as a driver, I know that sometimes I'll see a speed limit posted and kind of laugh to myself because like, in what world could I get up to that speed with the constant congestion? But I
2: guess now the opportunity was actually there, which is less than ideal if, like you say, I have a lead foot Yeah. And unfortunately, that mentality is carrying forward even now with increasing traffic. A lot of people still have that in the back of their heads like, oh, I can make really good time or those who are inclined to really go for it are still trying to. But there's less margin for air now because there's less space in between vehicles with more people coming back.
0: Yeah. Everywhere saw a dip. But the D.C. area and not to be overly statistical about it, apparently the D.C. area saw a 77% decrease in traffic delays, which was the largest dip for any metro area in the U.S. Was there any reason in particular that D.C. saw such a heavy drop?
2: Well, think about it. D.C. has a very high percentage of the workforce that is federal, right, compared to most other metro areas. And a lot of federal workers nowadays are equipped for telework. And to draw back on the previous point, on a highway that's near or around capacity you don't need to siphon off but more than one or two percent of the traffic volume to go from free flow to congestion and from congestion to free flow it only takes one two three percentage points to achieve that so it's a non-linear correlation between congestion and capacity i know it's a little Little jargony, a little bit. Th- no,
0: I love it. All of my AP status coming <laughs> kind of rushing back.
2: Right, it's all statistics. I'm not a master statistician, but you can have a highway that's at 80% capacity and still have a synchronized flow. Right, you can still be maintaining decent throughput, but it's very sensitive as you get closer to capacity. Right, so I know I'm really geeking out right now. I apologize. I should have apologized in advance. But I love
0: it so much. You don't that's understand.
2: right? Yeah. So you get up to 90, 91, 92, but eventually you get to a threshold where it can't sustain decent throughput anymore and it's a very fine line. So the federal workforce, just eliminating that, I I don't have the statistic on my head, but I think it's around five or six percent or something of of the greater DC area is federal. If you took five percent off the roadways, that by itself is significant. Then you think of the contractors and the private businesses that are reliant on the federal workforce. They stayed at home, self-employed or unemployed, unfortunately. They weren't driving anymore. Like you say, we got under 50 percent across parts of the area 50 percent reduction in capacity that is more than sufficient to wipe rush hour off the map
0: which i think we all wish we could do all the time
2: (laughs) you know it's a good point too because that's the goal of commuter connection and a lot of ride sharing agencies just taking a small percentage of the volume off the roads can have an enormous difference on travel times and efficiency and that's something we might be able to learn from the pandemic and and all these uh, studies clearly shows that we can make improvements. We don't need to be reliant on a terrible pandemic to achieve more optimal use of our highways. Small steps can make big differences. Mm. And kind of segueing from that point, has the D.C. area ever seen a traffic
1: event like this before?
2: No, absolutely not. I mean, this was so far afield, so anomalous, that the only comparison would be a days-long winter storm where highway volumes were drastically reduced, but that's only going to be a few days. Holiday periods, you'll see the dips in the chart, especially between Christmas and New Year's. There's often a big drop in highway volumes, but as far as disruptive events, there's nothing that compares to what we saw early last year in 2020, going right into the uh, middle spring months.
0: Yeah. I remember sitting on the producer's desk. I can usually be so reliant on traffic at the eights to take a while. Like you kind of get a sense of how long it's going to be. And I felt bad because you guys were like, there, there's no one out back to you. Like there was nothing happening. And yeah, it was
2: tough. Like I say, even the incidents that occurred, Even some of the bad things that happened that would normally have bottleneck traffic, you need a certain amount of volume to cause a backup and make that incident relevant for everyone else who may want to steer away from it. Even some of the big things that happened that blocked multiple lanes on big highways didn't cause delays and weren't much of an inconvenience for other travelers nearby. So they lost their relevance in the traffic reports. And that shows you how sensitive the roads can be with increasing volumes, which is what we've been seeing more and more of these days.
0: Yeah. So pushing on that, where are we now? Because people are more vaccinated. There are less restrictions. And you mentioned people still have that lead foot mentality, but now there are eight other people who also have that mentality in the same stretch of road.
2: Yeah. A lot to digest. Rush hour's back. Okay. It's not coming back. It's back. And we could have seen it coming, right? Thankfully, we're all getting vaccinated, but we're also slipping back into some old habits like commuting. There's more vacationing happening too this time of the year, especially getting into the summer months. And there's this general mentality of wanting to get out and see the world again and experience life. And so all of these psychological forces are combining along with our old commuting habits and more solo commuting, unfortunately, that's probably also factoring in. And we're seeing volume delays, the likes of which we haven't seen since late last winter. I dug into a few numbers recently, and Friday, May 21st, marked the first day during which the volumes on the Beltway for that day eclipsed not only all levels seen since the beginning of the pandemic, but also the 2019 daily average so what that tells you is not only was traffic on that friday bad it was worse than the old normal bad so it's back
1: how do you think that'll affect people psychologically people are zooming down (laughs) the beltway and now you know they're stuck for two hours i can't imagine that's gonna bode well for people's commuting psyche
2: driving around dc is challenging both (laughs) in a temporal way and also a psychological way so adjusting your expectations now taking a step back thinking back about how things used to be how difficult certain times of the day and the week and the year were getting around refreshing your memory and holding on to it when you recognize that it is difficult to move around dc and that 2020 is over the old traffic patterns are starting to reemerge it helps you cope with (laughs) the stress of trying to work through that congestion. And it's also important to remember that it can always get worse, and it probably will get worse, but but it's not as bad as it was on a daily basis. And we might be still in a flux. We might still be trying to figure out, okay, I don't feel comfortable commuting right now on Metro or on the bus that I used to take, but maybe some people will. And so eventually we're gonna settle into an equilibrium And hopefully we'll have just a little bit more capacity on the roads, at least at some hours of the day. You talk about induced demand, there is capacity there, and the theory goes that eventually it'll fill up. And that may well be, but hopefully we'll be operating in a mode that's a little bit more effective to serve the greater good and the greater whole. That's the hope anyway. We don't know. The jury's still out. We'll have to wait and see. But one thing's for sure. Traffic is definitely roaring back. The data shows it. And just anecdotally, you talk to people around here and everyone pretty much feels it. It's palpable.
0: As a master statistician, I said it. You didn't. It's fine. That's on you. What what would it take for us to impact the greater good and be more efficient? Are we on the road to that? No pun intended. Or is it going to be something that actively has to be worked on?
2: It depends on the individual, right? So it just all depends on what your options are. I think there is a big initiative now, regionally and even nationally, to try to find more modes of transportation, try to encourage people to use the mass transit options that are available to them if they are viable. But as I said, it's not always an option for everyone. I think what a lot of people have discovered is that not just that they might be more effective working from home, not just that they're saving money by working at home, but the time savings counts for a lot, too. And so what you may see are more people who are less inclined to travel great distances to get to work and start working and living and playing in more localized or regional areas. And that, that may just help in the long run free up capacity on the bigger highways for everyone who needs to go a longer distance but not on a daily basis that's just a theory i don't know if it's true but we're going to reach a breaking point point. and if you look again at the chart of daily traffic curves whether it's pre-pandemic or what we're seeing more recently is that yes we have the peak periods or the so-called rush hour periods morning midday afternoon but there's a great deal of capacity still left evenings, overnights, and early mornings. Imagine in 2050, 2060, 2080, if we kept going on this trajectory, what we might end up seeing are rush hours at midnight because traffic is a reflection of us. It's a reflection of how we operate in society. And sometimes it's an ugly reflection. We're always having a bad hair day and we're having more of them recently. We have to change something because it just doesn't seem sustainable right now or it doesn't seem sustainable the way we were. And I think we got a glimpse of where we might be able to be if we're just a little smarter about our commuting habits.
0: It might be a too much to ask. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a very glasses half empty kind of person. I'm trying to be positive here. No, we're all getting there. And uh, the good news is I think the uptick in volumes is very reflective of more folks being vaccinated and hopefully a return to some more normalcy.
1: And when will that normalcy return, or will the traffic patterns we saw before the pandemic ever come back?
2: It'll be interesting to see where we go in the months ahead. There's obviously more commuting happening now, more folks are returning to the office, but there's also a general seasonal curve that you always tend to see during the warm season with more traffic seven days a week. So we have overlapping trends right now, and I think we're not really going to get a true sense of where D.C. traffic stands for another couple of months, at least, if we return to something that is very similar to the old normal, or if we've got some new hybrid rush hour deal with more travel in the middays. I would assume a lot of folks are still gonna be teleworking, maybe semi-permanently or from here on out, and that would certainly have an effect on travel patterns, especially during the middays. We'll see.
0: A long-term rehabilitation project on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge westbound span was supposed to be wrapped up this year. Instead, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan announced its completion in April 2020, more than a year ahead of schedule. Work was expedited due to, among other factors, significantly reduced traffic due to stay-at-home orders.
1: At the beginning of the pandemic, driving fell 80% in Virginia. The General Assembly had just passed a sweeping transportation package, but the drop in drivers meant the sources for transportation funding dried up and the state lost $750 million in revenue. Virginia's Deputy Secretary of Transportation said that the state moved $495 million from other sources to fill some of the gaps and keep the transportation package going.
0: DC will start normal parking enforcement on June 1st. The 14th month pause saved residents close to $75 million in fines. The district will also kick off a four-month unpaid ticket amnesty program.
1: And a big thank you to Dave for joining us. You can hear him in the WTOP traffic studio on the 8s. You can also read his funny and borderline brutal analysis of driving in our area. Surviving DC Traffic, a satirical guide to navigating the nation's capital on WTOP.com.
0: Today's episode was hosted and produced by me, Laura Spitalniak.
1: And me, Luke Garrett.
0: Our cover art is by Audrey Garrett, and our music is courtesy of Lockspeed.
1: Join us next Monday as the world reopens. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all the local shows that I like, all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Listen local with Podcast DC.